What a weekend it has been. Hello and welcome to the Arrowhead Pride Draft Recap Show. My name is Pete Sweeney, hanging out with the very tired but caffeinated draft analyst Ken Swanson. <laughs> Jay Binkley can't get enough of the draft. Jay, you don't even need coffee when it comes to the NFL draft. You can just pump that into your veins. No, but I need energy drinks, Pete. It's a <laughs> little stop the store on the way in here, you know. Ben Alpert ha- hang- helping us out uh, today with the Arrowhead Pride Draft Recap Show. Uh, the Arrowhead Pride, uh, I'm sorry, the Arrowhead Pride, the NFL draft in general to me is this thing where it almost feels like a night out and, and I'm almost hungover from picks and scout takes <laughs> and GM interviews. And But what you get at the end of the weekend as we're now hungover from, from, from the NFL draft is Six new Chiefs, and again, a lot more Chiefs when it comes to undrafted free agents, which is a whole other animal, but at least six guys we know they liked enough to go and spend a draft pick on to have that team control. McCole Hardman was your second-round pick. Juan Thornhill uh, also coming in that round. Colin Saunders, a defensive lineman out of Western Illinois, he was your third-rounder. Then there was that lull where you didn't know what to do yesterday with your hands for about four hours. <laughs> and then your sixth rounder was Rashad Fenton, the cornerback out of South Carolina, uh, running back Darwin Thompson. That's your sexy pick coming in the sixth round. And then wrapping up with Nick Allegretti, uh, the offensive lineman who's an interior guy, can play center and guard. Uh, so I'll turn to you guys, the guys who are the draft nerds, been following this all up to uh, the NFL draft. Uh, what will you remember about the 2019 Chiefs draft? Not much, <laughs> like you said, the Just whole the all the work. No, um, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll remember the trade up for Miko Hardman, the first pick in the Chiefs draft. I was very surprised by that. That was kind of a stunner to me that they would move all the way up to uh, what was it fifty six to get him, Brett Reach. Brett Reach. I got a little got a little angsty. I think they were afraid of him being taken, though. Yeah, I think so. I too. think they were too. And I think when you kind of listen back and, and kind of hear what Brett Veach had to say about His that, teams were positioning themselves to move. Right. And then when they, whenever the Chiefs made that move, they were done trying to make that make that move for them. So maybe they were trying to get out of, up ahead of the Chiefs or you know picking the Chiefs selection for Nicole Hardman. But um, I'll remember that. And uh, I will remember uh, Darwin Thompson being ta- taken yesterday because that was probably the one of the most fun moments of the entire weekend. Why was that? He's just a very fun player. He's going to be a guy that's going to be endearing to this entire fan base, I have a feeling. Once people start watching more of his highlights, I think he's already taken Twitter by storm. He's a very, he's got, fu- I mean, very fun prospect. I, your, your partner on the AP Draft Show, that's our, po- our podcast channel, Jake, he has this term, body beautiful. Darwin <laughs> yes. Thompson, he is very body beautiful. He's like... Well, so is Tano Passanio. I was about to say, did you ever see the movie Twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny, Danny DeVito? DeVito. I, you could put T- Tano and, and Darwin <laughs> next to each other, and it's like this really ripped-up version of, of, of Twins. Uh, Jay, when I, I'm turning to you now. Uh, when you think about the Chiefs' 2019 NFL draft, let's say three or four years from now, what do you think you'll remember? I'll remember who actually plays this year. The window's open now, and this was a draft to get players that you could feasibly see playing this year. What about developing these guys? Juan Thornhill is my favorite pick by the Chiefs. He's the safety out of Virginia. They could play. He's the free safety. They could play corners well. This is a good matchup on tight ends, guy. To me, Juan Thornhill is the best pick. Nicole Harmon, very interesting because of the speed. You can't teach the speed. He's got the speed. But it's almost like circa Tyreek Hill earlier 
in his career. Is that a good enough piece to get the Chiefs to where they're going? I'm also going to look back at it and say, where was tight end? Right. You know, this is a very deep draft as far as tight ends are concerned. Where's tight end? Is corner now a position that you're going to hard-press to get Patrick Peterson? What's going to go on? Because that guy, this draft was loaded with corners, but I was frustrated where the Chiefs were sitting because they weren't sitting in position to make a lot of moves. And, of course, they gave up that fifth-round pick. But, like, Colin Saunders, I think he's going to be the guy that Chiefs fans like the best because he's got a little Chris Jones personality. If you are 324 pounds and you're backflipping, of course Chiefs fans. <laughs> yeah, but like but my up. main concern is, and he is good, and he was on Therese Paylor's all-juice team, but again, like Tano, you're going to the FCS. Right. And it's a big difference dominating in the FCS than in the FBS. Now, is he going to be a great pick for the Chiefs? I think he will. But what will be the impact this year besides a re- rotational piece and I'm looking down here, and I think Juan Thornhill will have the biggest impact on the 2019 Chiefs. Yeah, I think Juan Thornhill's going to be a day one starter. Yep. I think he's going to line up in... Uh, That's why I felt last year one. about Armani Watts, by the way, and he got injured and everything else. Juan Thornhill fits way better from a uh, from a free safety position than Armani Watts did. I mean, I think Armani Watts is basically your honey badger insurance. He's gonna He's a guy you want playing close to the line of scrimmage. So Armani Watts, the fourth-round pick from last year, if he's going to see the field, it's probably because Honey Badger's hurt. But Juan Thornhill is a lockdown, wonderful, amazing center field safety with a high athletic profile, excellent ball skills. I would have, I would have been comfortable taking him at twenty-nine. If they had taken him uh, at twenty-nine, look, I would have been you, happy. Look at you getting crazy over there. I, no, he, he, it's, not, it's, not, it's not crazy because I, I, he's so versatile in I, what he can do as far as. You, you want him in the slot, he can do that. You want him in the corner, you want him to match up with people. Not only that, he's not afraid to hit you either. I like the one Thornhill pick, maybe more than anybody. I like McCool Hardman, keep in mind. But again, developmental guy. And I'm looking at the corners. And I'm saying, are you okay with going in with Fuller and Breland, Charverius Ward? I mean, are, are you comfortable as a Chiefs fan going in with those corners? Not totally. No, I'm not either. But at the same time. It's, You've got a great slot guy in Fuller, but what else do you have? It's not it's not May yet. They still got some time. So whenever <laughs> right. when the second right. wave of releases comes in, the Vikings are actively trying to move on from some of their cornerbacks. They they've got some contract issues. They've got some cap space issues they got to address. The Chiefs are still going to address it at some point. I'm certain of it's just they didn't do much of it in the draft. We'll be talking in detail about all these guys: Hardman, Thornhill, Saunders, Fenton, Thompson, and Allegretti. All throughout the show, we have some cuts from scouts uh, that spoke about some of these guys yesterday. Uh, quotes from Brett Veach and Andy Reid to see how they fit with this team. But guys, when I think of the 2019 NFL draft, and this isn't something that brings me joy to have to say, but the NFL draft and, and and everything that goes into it is is built into this celebration, right? It's a celebration of the NFL, celebration of new stars coming into the league. You go down to Nashville. Did you see the crowds down in Nashville? It, it looked was, amazing. It was insane. And, and what 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 has been bothersome, I think, this weekend in Kansas City is it's been for me like having a funeral during Christmas. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that's sort of how the whole offseason has been. And and, it, and it's a shame because here is a time in Kansas City when you should be really, really pumped about the future. You were on the doorstep of the AFC title game. You faced that heartbreak. And, and, and what you should be looking at to this season is the second season where, like the Royals, and again, the, the, the Chiefs didn't make it to the Super Bowl, but you should be looking at the season, okay, we were a little short to the greatest quarterback of all time last year. 
you know what this is going to be? This is going to be a year when we take the bull by the horns, we're coming back and we're taking it all, right? And it's just been clouded by this Tyree Kill situation. More audio coming out this week. Clark Hunt had an opportunity to speak to the media uh, yesterday. Well, we're on uh, day three of the draft. Uh, we were excited to pick some players uh, last night. Uh, before we get going to questions, I do want to address the Tyreek Hill situation. You've already heard from Brett and Andy on it, and I would just reiterate uh, that we were deeply disturbed by the audio, which we heard on Friday, sorry, which we heard on Thursday. And that's why he's uh, not with the organization at this point, and we would expect that would be the case until we have a chance to uh, work our way through whatever information we're able to get. The media continued to ask Clark questions about when will we hear no timetable? Is there any other information? And he just kept pointing back to the statement, pointing to the ongoing investigation. Uh, I look at this situation, and it's just interesting to me because – I'm just wondering what the Chiefs are doing. And I think there are confused fans and confused media members. Sam Melliger of the Star sticks out. Uh, Adam Teicher, another colleague of mine, sticks out. Whereas they acted so swiftly with the Kareem Hunt situation because there was a video. I mean, now you have this audio, and, and I, I get, you know, no situation is completely the same. Uh, but they're taking a long time with this, and I started to think about why. And I don't – I'm starting to think that no matter what, Tyree Kill – Probably won't play another down for the Chiefs, right? We can, I think we can almost say that with certainty. So, so what's the holdup here? And, again, my wheels are turning, and I'm thinking, well, maybe they want to make sure he doesn't hurt them with another team, right? So you don't want to just give him up like a Kareem Hunt, and then all of a sudden he's on the Browns after his comeback tour, and he's preventing you from going to the Super Bowl, right? So what does that mean? Okay, so how would that happen? Well, then the commissioner would have to put him on the ban list, suspended list, like we saw with Josh Gordon, the commissioner's exempt list. And then if that ever happened, be it one, two, X years into the future, at least he's still under team control. Well, the commissioner is not going to put a player on the exempt list during the NFL draft, as I alluded to, the greatest celebration of all time. So I'm starting to think that that is the holdup. Again, yeah. this is my theory, but I think that makes the most sense because – I think you look at a situation now, right? The Browns are competitive. Again, football matters. I, I need to preface this. Football matters way less than life, than women and, and, and children, so on and so forth. But in the grand scheme of your business, wouldn't like you don't want to see Kareem Hunt running the football all, all over your ass, and then you don't go to the Super Bowl because of it. And I just I think that might be the holdup. You know what? Here's why I think their holdup is, and I think it's a legality thing. One, you never had an immense of guilt. Right. You never had immense of guilt. Now, Kareem Hunt was caught red-handed because the video was there. Now, here, here's the other holdup, too. we got to remember something. When something's on videotape, it makes it very conclusive, okay, what he did. He's on videotape. Now, when it's an audio tape, and this is what I've you know heard from people in the, in the legal world, Pete, is you got to authenticate it. Hmm. You have to make sure. I mean, the, poli- they- the police have said that already, too. What's that? Wait, I, yeah. what the police have said you have to authenticate it? Or I'm sorry, not the police. It, 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 I read as Sports Illustrated and a lawyer was talking. Well, just look, and he look, said even the police have to authenticate well, it. Well, exactly. I mean, look at Dusty Likens, works, works for the station. He does great, you know, impressions. impressions. And, yeah. Ron Ugly does a great Denny Matthews. I mean, Frank Caliendo does people to a T. Now, I'm not saying. I mean, I think I know Rod's Denny Matthews and compared to the regular. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I, know, well, I, know, what I'm I know what you're saying. There are professionals right. out that are very good, yeah. and it doesn't mean that this is what happened. I mean, right. it's, it's ludicrous thinking that was an impressionist doing it, and you can't edit audio tape, as you know, Pete. I'm just saying, 
legal purposes, you have to make damn sure it is him because there is people that can duplicate voices and there was never an admittance of guilt. And again, Cream Hunt, I'm just telling you my theory on why it's taking so long. With Cream Hunt, it was on videotape. It was right there to see. This is an audio tape, but there's not an admittance of guilt, but you have to authenticate it. You have to you have to dot your I's and cross your T's. And I understand that. And I, I think if, if from a legality standpoint, if that would make sense, that would be a logical thing. I really do hope that it's not just for football reasons, and I know that sounds like. I mean, I, I expect there there could be part of that too. If it's if it's just for football reasons that they're being strategic about, you know, keeping a a black eye on this organization on this roster for a couple more days because they don't want to show their hand about what they're going to do with me, Cole Hardman, or they're just trying to make sure that you know Kareem Hunt doesn't have to, or not, uh, Tyree Kill doesn't have an opportunity to play for another team right, right so away. So you're saying like, I, I hope the Hardman right. thing, like someone grab him thinking, all right, the Chiefs are going to get yeah, Hardman or because like, of Hill. Yeah, they're showing their hand on the receiver, right, you know right. what I'm saying? Yep. Like I could have seen them being strategic yep. about saying we're going to, maybe we'll address wide receiver early, maybe we won't, those kind of things, just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, keeping their, their plans at bay or whatever because Tyree Kill's still on the roster, obviously. And teams I, would have an interest to keep him away from the Chiefs right. because of what's going so on. So, like, I mean, if, if, if it's football reasons, I'll be a little bit upset. But. I think I think fans are just ready for a conclusion. Absolutely. When we come back, we're going to talk about the quote-unquote unofficial first-rounder Frank Clark. He's got a little bit of a history himself. Why I believe that this is a completely different story. That's next. Welcome back to the Arrowhead Pride Draft Recap. The three-day NFL draft is over. Pete Sweeney hanging out with Ken Swanson, Jay Binkley, Ben Alpert behind the glass. Uh, And as we know, for the second year in a row, the Chiefs, no first-round pick. uh, But they were able to uh, get Frank Clark. Uh, Again, I I had talked before the break about how this, this whole weekend was a little bit weird. And so you have... Uh, Frank Clark's press conference, his opening press conference um, on day two of the draft. And, again, it's just such a weird environment that Andy Reid has to start the press conference out like this. I just want to preface this this press conference. There there are a lot of folks here. I I know that we're not here last night when Brent made his his statement. we're sensitive to that. We understand you have a lot of questions. Um, I think you understand also that the case has been reopened. So we'll stay, stick with the statement that we made uh, last night about Tyreek. Knowing today is, uh, is Frank's day. And so we just appreciate uh, and respect that. I didn't like the move by the Chiefs because they could have easily had two separate press conferences. Like, if you really don't want any Tyreek questions and the Tyreek media showing up to the Frank Clark press conference, then have a separate press conference to address the fact that a criminal case of one of your employees is reopened. It's high profile, so that's your own fault. That being said, <laughs> it's it it, it it for me, it's a little unfair to Frank, and Frank has a little bit of a past himself, and, and I, I want to get into that uh, as well. But to start, I, let's start with the strictly football. Again... I think the the notion that the Chiefs, uh, you know, Frank Clark, the football player, they weren't going to find this type of guy at number twenty nine. Again, we in, uh, we talked at the beginning of the show how the, how the Chiefs were on the doorstep of the Super Bowl. This is a guy who you know for a fact is going to help you now, strictly from a football sense. You know, before we get into any of that other stuff, 
How much better does this make this, this defense? Oh, much better. It's not even close. And when we were kind of doing our evaluations and, and reading and trying to gather as much information as we could about the you know the defensive end group specifically in this draft, Clullen Farrell was a guy that we targeted we thought was undervalued based on a lot of the information Mike that, Mayock that's did. out there. Mike Mayock didn't. Mike Mayock thought he was one of the 10 best players in this class. He's buying your draft guide. I told you this I, already. He might guy. be. We had. He we, was John Williams in Oakland. We had we had Clullen Farrell game, top five. The only game Mike Mayock scouted was Clemson, Alabama. <laughs> national he went with Gettleman. Yeah. So, I mean... I from a from a value perspective, the Chiefs were not going to get a defensive end that that they coveted. So the fact that they brought they they got Frank Clark, who's going to make an immediate impact, who is going to have more sacks than anybody in this entire draft class this season, it's a huge move for a win now team and long term. I think they got one of the best defensive ends in football. Jay, now that we know how the whole draft has turned out. Does that make you like this this trade more or less? Yeah, more because I, I don't think we can look at this draft class as a whole and grade it just upon the picks they've got. I think you have to consider Frank Clark as part of it too. I'm, and I know he's played in the league, but I'm considering him part of this draft class. I mean, you you get rid of your one. I don't think we can look at this and evaluate it. I know I'm sitting here saying one horn Thornhill is going to make the biggest difference. No, that that's that's excluding Frank Clark. Right. Frank Clark's going to make the difference. And then Thornhill, but just on the draft picks alone, Frank Clark is uh, going to be the guy to help the Chiefs. But what a bizarre week, Pete. I mean, right. you know, I was out at the Joko uh, district attorney thing the other day, and then the Frank Clark sign. This is this is one of the weirdest weeks in in, in Chiefs history, to be quite honest. With Very you. weird. Uh, Clark uh, again when he back in college, and this is dating. We're dating ourselves a little bit now, but it it was um, I believe it was 2014 where yeah. he had the domestic violence issue. Uh, where the cops were called, he was arrested for for domestic violence in a hotel room with his girlfriend at the time. He was asked at the press conference straight on about those issues. I have to learn to be a better teammate, better person, and then just a better man in general. When you go through something like that and you and you put yourself in that position, the first thing is like you got to own up to it and understand what you did, what you've done. You know, I affect a lot of people doing that. It wasn't just you know Frank Clark or Frank Clark's family or anyone else. It was it was Frank Clark. It was you know, um, the Michigan football team. You know, who would have, you know, who would have known? You know, who, who would have known where we would have been if Frank Clark was still on that team? You know, but um, unfortunately, you know, it ended how it ended, and you know, it's just something I have to le- learn and grow from. It's something I'll continue to learn and grow from. That's why I'm so persistent, and you know, just bettering myself first. You know, I'm persistent. It's five years later. You know, I'm just persistent and just doing everything I have to do to spread my word and spread the message. And, you know, continue to speak out and be an advocate. And I think that's important. I think you gotta have a um a heart sometime, a real heart. And um, that's just being real. And I'm a real person. I don't I don't sugarcoat nothing. I don't hide nothing. I don't got nothing to hide. I can't I can't barely hide. It's all out there. And um, you know that's that, that's just me. I feel like everyone's gonna get a chance to know me. You know they I know what they read. I know everything people see. And you know I know the perception people can have. And that's easy. You know, but I just feel like the hard part is getting it actually know somebody. I feel like once everyone does that, they understand me as a person. Now, with this being what it is, right, everyone out there is entitled to make their own opinion about Frank Clark. I'm not going to sit here and tell you you need to believe what I believe, but here's what I believe. I think it's going to be easy for a lot of people in Kansas City to say, we just saw that people can't change with Tyreek Hill. And what I'll say to you is, I look at Frank Clark and it, And to me, it's a completely different scenario. 
incident-free since 2015, uh, has made one mistake. If you look at the Seahawks and their fans and the comments, they love this guy. Um, he was an, a, a a tremendous asset to, to the Seattle community. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's more out there recently when he's talking about some of the stuff that he's done, you know, for the homeless too. Like if you watch BJ Kissel's video interview with him for ten minutes, he talks a lot about that too. So, I mean, there's a ton of. Uh, th- I I came away very impressed by him after watching some of the stuff that's come out this week. And again, I th- I think the thing is just because Tyree Kill duped us all, mm-hmm. where he wasn't the guy that he was putting out there, doesn't mean that there aren't people who can can come back and, and make. A difference positively in the world and I just don't think it's right to to write off Frank Clark based upon this thing that happened years ago again nothing has happened since 2015 and he's only been a positive uh, outlook and and to me as you mentioned he was homeless he's, yeah. he didn't come from the best background like I, I never advocate for anything that happened but he came from a rough rough background and I think Sometimes you don't learn the lessons of what's right and wrong and the correct way to right. act until later on in life. He, he's the guy that you hope for second chance redemptions. He's the guy that you hope that Tyreek Hill right. would have been Frank Clark. And going back to when he was kicked off of Michigan, he is still with the gal that he was in the hotel room with, and he has a kid with her. He is very good with the children in Seattle. He's done a lot of programs. They love him. Pete Carroll loves him. John Schneider loves him. The Seahawks. Love him. Not a bad word. John Clayton was on with the drive. Right. And said he's done nothing wrong in uh, Seattle since then. And I think in in the whole incident, remember, he pled down to disorderly conduct. He was never convicted of domestic violence. That's the key word here because people are saying, well, he was never convicted of that. He claims with that Josina Anderson video, and so does she, that she had ripped the phone off the wall, hit her face. Frank grabbed it and said, hey, man, look what you just did to yourself. I mean, believe what you want. I typically will believe him because she has stayed with him and been his right-hand uh, gal since then. And she claims he didn't do anything wrong. And the court saw it in the same way because he was able to plead it down to disorderly conduct. And the thing is, and I always encourage this now, don't even take our words for it, right? Sure. Go The police report, if you want to read the police report with the with the awful photos that's available if you want to go and read espn's josina anderson story about his upbringing and how when he visits california he has to go and see if he can find his mom because sometimes he can sometimes he can't um you can watch the bj kissel uh interview which again a friend and a colleague of mine he said was one of the best interviews of his career Uh, and then you know you take all that information and you could formulate your own opinion what i just want to caution people is don't look at what tyreek did who to me is trash, and say, okay, this is what Frank Clark is. Mm -hmm. One of the things that really stuck out to me in that clip that you just played, Pete, uh, a line that I never heard Tyreek Hill say, ever, and especially early on, he did not handle that this the interviews well when he first came here. Frank Clark said, I affected a lot of people. There is an acknowledgement that some of the things that he's done in his past have not helped or not, you know, not... That that mattered beyond just him, you know, a a very um, humbled approach to this that I don't think we ever heard Tyreek Hill say I affected a lot of people. I think Frank acknowledges that he's made mistakes in his past and he's moved on from them. I didn't never I never heard that from Tyreek Hill. And I think, you know, some of the audio that's come out is a clear indication of why. And I know, it, it, oh, sorry. It, well, here's the deal, Pete. I, I'm a huge second chance guy. 
And when they drafted Tyreek Hill, I, I was I was for it. I was pro it only because I know when you go work in the workplace, are you going to get the same kind of advantages the NFL will provide you to change your life, which the counseling and everything. It's second to none. It's much different than going working for some other company. If you, you if you need help, that it's there. It's there, right? And not only that, but when you're in a locker room with guys like Justin Houston and Alex Smith at the time, right? When you're in with these leaders that he was brought in with that can sit down and talk to you about being a man and changing. I thought it provided the best opportunity. That's why I was for it. And the reason I'm for it is from what I'm seeing, what I saw from Michael Vick, you know, serving his time and coming out and being a a really good citizen and helping out the uh, Humane Society and everything else with Frank Clark. That's the kind of redemption story I'm with. I'm not about just throwing somebody away, you know, once they've made a mistake. We've all had those, those moments in our life, and obviously not like you that. Could, there's plenty of but, people out there you could do that with family members who have done something. Like, sure. Like, to me. I, but but second chance, I'm a big, big second chance guy, and Frank Clark is living up to exactly what I'd hoped he'd do. We'll talk a little bit more about Frank Clark, who's your unofficial first-round pick, a little bit later. When we come back, we're going to start to get into some of these draft picks, in particular, McCole Hardman and Juan Thornhill. What do they mean to the Chiefs right now? That's next. Welcome back to the Arrowhead Pride Draft Recap Show. Pete Sweeney hanging out with Ken Swanson, Jay Binkley, Ben Alpert helping us out on the ones and twos. And we talked a little bit about Tyree Kill and Frank Clark, and I want to get to some of these, these draft picks. And Brett Veach a little bit less aggressive this year when it came to the draft, only trading up for that first uh, pick at number 56, that was McCole Hardman, a wide receiver from Georgia. Here was Andy Reid after the pick. Talk a little bit about uh, McCole. He, um, we, we like his, uh, obviously, his speed, um, but he's more than that. He can play inside, he can play outside. He did both at Georgia. And then he's a phenomenal return returner. I mean, arguably the the best returner in the in the draft, um, and, and so we look forward to adding him to our wide receiving core. Um, and again, this is somebody that Brett had his eye on from the get-go. It doesn't have anything to do with things going on now. It's just a, it's a player that he's felt very good about, and uh, and the way the board fell, I mean, it was he was right in position there to do it. And then we, you know. Which happens in the draft, you, you get phone calls from these other teams going, doggone, you jumped in front of us and picked the guy we wanted. So um, he was also on a lot of other people's boards there. So, Andy, I love you, man. <laughs> We're not dumb. Yeah. We're not dumb here. Uh, McCole Hardman has comparisons to Tyreek Hill and uh, Dusty Likens, who does a Saturday show now from 12 to 3, right? Um, Asked me yesterday, well, you know, what do you think about McCole Hardman? And and it's easy to to relate him to Tyree Kill. But when I told Dusty, I said, this isn't Tyree Kill of 2018 that's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. This is 2016 Tyree Kill, who Dave Tobe said is the best punt returner, kick returner in the class. Already comparisons like Hill in 2016 to Devin Hester, how he's an outstanding returner. What you're getting is... A receiver who 
is not that great of a wide receiver at this point. Right. And, and it, it's going to be up to him as to see if he could develop into the type of guy that he'll became. He hasn't been a receiver full-time for too long either, so he's got some time to develop. But, I mean, I think he's a long ways away, frankly. I think, you know, there's the traits are very obvious. They slap you in the face as just far as how, you know, the tra- obvious that speed is and stuff. But, but the trade-up was for the, the trait of speed. Four, three, Absolutely. three. That is why you're, you're trading up for one trade. That's what it is. And the reason that people, and I'm trying to explain to people, I think the reason that, that teams and scouts and, and GMs do that is because everything else, like you can teach someone how to be a wide receiver. You ain't teaching anybody how to run four three three. You got to be born with Can't that. Can't coach it. And some people are saying that he was laser timed in the four twos at his com- at his uh, pro day. So, I mean, even it might even be a little bit of speed, and the speed is is very very obvious. It's just everything around it. I think just requires a lot of work. Well, they might have laser timed. He didn't compete in the in the Georgia pro day. I think Beach so, got it somehow with the workout. Yeah. So he was a starter for Georgia. Keep in mind, Georgia is a predominant running team. So a lot of times, the wide receiver numbers coming out of Georgia are going to be different. Now, as far as a good returner, this kid averaged twenty yards per punt return, which was huge. Had a touchdown. This year, very good, 25.2 average on kick returns. But his punt return average is almost similar to the kickoff return average. So you're looking at a special teamer, for sure, returner. He's going to be in that mix to return uh, kicks for the Chiefs. But I'm with you. I think this is Tyree Kill from the beginning. But I do think he's a better route runner than Tyree Kill was at that stage in 16 because Tyreek was transitioning from running back to wide receiver. Well, one thing I want to know, they put the scouts in front of us on day three of the draft. We had an opportunity to talk to McCole's scout, the guy who found him, and I asked him, well, how is this guy going to really develop into this wide receiver? Yeah, I think, well, he has some things that you guys know that not many people have. And with his burst and explosion and ability to get out of the breaks, you can always work. There's, there's teachable things and unteachable things. And speed, burst, and quickness are things that we can't teach or we can't coach. But we can teach a guy how to get out of his routes, how to stem routes, how to work on some routes that he hasn't done before. And and he's got the ability. The thing you like about him, if you guys haven't met him already, he's got great energy and he loves the game of football. So with the coaching staff that we have and his personality and his work ethic, I think he'll be on the road for success. The thing I want to warn people, and this is the final thing, is he ain't coming in and replacing wide receiver one, which is Sammy Watkins, or wide receiver two, which is Demarcus Robinson. That's that's the reality. Or even wide receiver three, which is what's up, Garrick Dieter? Ugh, not for long. <laughs> but here's the thing. Now, NFL.com and Lance Zerline on, on the NFL.com rated him third or fourth round, which is exactly what you guys had yeah. in your draft grade of fourth round. This is listen to this. This is what Lance Zerline said about him. Rob and explosive with burst to uncover underneath and a second gear to threaten over the top. Hardman is a relative newcomer to the position that shows up at time and routes in his struggles competing for the ball in traffic. Hardman could develop into a lesser version of Tyree Kill with his playmaking potential after the catch on deep balls and as a returner. So Lance Zerline already drew this comparison to Tyree Kill before the Tyree Kill news came out. So it's kind of a poor man's Tyree Kill. And people know, I mean, people see... But he came see, from the SEC, but which is much different but than But to Perry. your point, like, Brett Veach has admitted, people in the NFL read scouting reports. They read mock drafts. Everybody knows that Tyreek Hill ain't at the, at the bare minimum. You want to talk about the bare minimum. He ain't starting the year with the Chiefs, right? So they have their eyes on this guy. So that is why I believe the Chiefs traded up. Is just, There was probably teams in front of him saying... Look, if we want this guy, he's probably going to go to the Chiefs. They saw the impact that Tyreek Hill made on Patrick Mahomes in this offense last And the rest year. of the players. Right. Like, and speed kill. The reason Tyreek Hill, or I'm sorry, the reason Travis Kelsey 
is as good and as effective as he is, is in part due to the threat of Tyreek Hill. And, and I think that Andy Reid, by the time that Tyreek Hill was done, started building, a, you know, some of the game plans. I'm not going to say every game because the other games I felt were Kelsey games, but they started building some of the game plans right around Tyreek Hill. Even the Patriots game that they were double teaming Tyreek Hill. They were trying the the final game of the season. They were double teaming Tyreek Hill, keeping someone over the top of him. You want to effective? Watch who build defense. Right, right, exactly. And and so you know Tyreek Hill didn't have a big game. He wasn't able to get open in in the AFC Championship game. Part of that was because of the amount of attention paid to him. But then you remember one of the first plays of the second half. Sammy Watkins had one on one. And they hit a big 60-plus yard play over the top because Sammy Watkins was going one-on-one against Stephon Gilmore. And he was the second-fastest guy to combine. Paris Campbell and um, and uh, Andy Isabella both were a little bit faster at 4-3-1. He actually tied DK Metcalf for second at the combine with 4-3-3, even though Brett Veach was talking about 4-2-7. I'm not sure who was getting that. but And even at the bare minimum, I think, too, say you take away Tyreek Hill and everything that he did as a wide receiver, him in the punt return game, like when you don't, when you can't punt to a certain guy because they're a threat to hit a home run against you, that means a shorter field for Patrick Mahomes. I don't think the Chiefs really wanted to lose that, and they said, "Okay, maybe we are Brett reaching a little, <laughs> bit, a little bit for this guy." But guess what? We're not going to lose that aspect because listen, if you if Patrick Mahomes has to go sixty yards instead of seventy-five, forty instead of sixty, you're in trouble. Uh, yeah, no, you're not wrong. I mean, then that's where his value. This pick kind of reminds me of Dorian O'Daniel last year where you saw a clear path to immediate impact on special teams and then you hoped he could can develop on the defensive side of football. And this is the same thing. Immediate impact for Michael Hardman is... Uh, is your is your special teams ability, and then you're hoping he can develop into a better weapon on offense. One thing I want to mention, though, they traded pick 167, a cornerback. They they might they might have been a, they might have been able to draft a guy like Corey Ballantyne from the Chiefs' backyard, who went at pick 180 instead of Rashad Fenton, uh, because they went up to make that move. So they did sacrifice potentially decent player, uh, potentially even at the cornerback position. Uh, by doing this move, so I hope it works out, and I hope they, you know, they, I hope they're able to kind of mine uh, and get the most out of Michael Hardman. It's the Patrick Mahomes effect. You're you're expecting him to raise the talent level. That's something Tyreek Hill did not have in the beginning, right? And that that is the different X factor here is he's now with Mahomes and not Alex Smith, which is exponentially different. Listen, the great quarterbacks can turn the Deion Branches into Randy Mosses, or the Austin Collies, or Jacob Tammies. So that's McCole Hardman. Uh, can't you believe that there's one day one starter in this draft class? We'll talk about him next. Power Hit Pride Draft Recap Show. The three-day NFL draft has come and gone. We got six new Chiefs as draft picks, a bunch of other undrafted free agents. But I want to talk about the one guy who my guy, Kent Swanson, is in the room with me. Believes is a day one starter. You believe Juan Thornhill is that guy. Tell us why. I think Juan Thornhill is one of the 50 best players in this class. Uh, So getting him at 63, I thought was excellent value. 
He's got a rare athletic profile. He had a 44-inch vertical, almost broke the vertical jump record at the NFL Combine. So he's he's very athletic. He's got a cornerback background. So he started at cornerback at Virginia before moving to free safety or kind of a safety. He can play all over the all over the field. He can play near the line of scrimmage. He can play deep. I imagine he's going to be their deep safety to let Tyron Matthew go do his work near the line of scrimmage where I think he's the best. So He's got a, a great skill set with coverage ability, with versatility, with flexibility. Him and, and Tyron Matthew together is going to cause a lot of problems for defense from a from a versatility standpoint. I think this guy steps in and has a great summer, and the first day of training camp, he will be starting with Tyron Matthew in the back end of that defense. Chiefs General Manager Brett Veach on Juan Thornhill. You know, Juan is, again, very versatile. He, uh, he can do a lot of different things for you, and we have, um, you know, we have some really good safeties, and, and you know, but these guys we have, I think the nap that they have is kind of down low. Um, the Honey Badger kind of said in his press conference, he feels like Superman the closer, closer to the football. Armani Watts had a lot of those traits, and, and Dan is a guy that played down a lot. Uh, Lucas is a guy that has some range back there, but I think Juan gives you a true free safety center fielder, and he has tremendous um, ball skills and, and, and range uh, on the back end. So I think this really gives you um, – a free safety with playmaking skills back there that can take the football away. But he can also slide down and, and cover some in the slot. And, and I think he'll be a really good cover piece against some athletic tight ends that we'll see throughout the course of our season. I like him too, and I'm a lot like Kent. I mean, this guy's a three-year starter, almost 100 tackles in his position. Keep in mind, six interceptions as well. He could play He could play that corner. He could match up against tight ends. Not only that, but you talk about his combine numbers. He had the best vertical and the best broad jump. Those two, uh, keep in mind, Chris Conley did this too. He set the <laughs> vertical and broad jump at the combine, and the Chiefs were enamored by those numbers. The measurable all-star team. But, it, it, you know, Don Terry Poe was, that, was right. that same guy, but Thornhill had the numbers and the production to back it up. Again, the 98 tackles, the six interceptions, but the broad jump and vertical, no safety, had better numbers than Thornhill. And I don't know if that's because he's a quasi-corner with that athleticism, right. but he dominated the safeties at the combine. And I think yeah, one thing you did mention that I probably didn't bring enough attention to, his ball skills are very real, and the Chiefs need more playmakers. They it's need more guys that can then get the football and make plays on the football. This is a guy that can do it, and I think that's part of the reason that they like him so like, like him playing deep. That athletic profile, that range, and the ball skills, that could be a really fun addition to this team and a playmaker that is vastly needed or ma- significantly needed uh, in the back end of that. Now keep in mind, this guy's a dunk master in high school basketball. He yeah. was on Sports so Center and stuff. So Patrick Mahomes and him are going to be pretty good. Well, <laughs> well, what I'm saying is, for his height at what six foot, the guy was highlighted on Sports Center in high school because of the way that he dunked. I mean, this guy's incredibly athletic on the basketball court and the football. He's got that that, that just that raw athleticism that teams are looking for. I'm a little bit surprised he was still available for the Chiefs to get him when they got him because I'm like Kent. I would have probably taken him 29th. Kent, did you know that Juan Thornhill played basketball in high school? I did not know that. Thank you, Peter. I guess we're going to have someone else in to uh, to add to that. Uh, he was also a uh, what uh, all-state quarterback as well. Yeah, uh, speaking of that, uh, after each pick is made by the, the Kansas City Chiefs, they'll call these guys, and you're allowed to uh, ask them questions, try to get to know them from what you can. It's it's hard to get to know a guy on a, on a phone call, but one thing I, I asked Thornhill because all you hear about is these football instincts, that ball hawk ability. Like, where did he get that from? Okay, with that, honestly, the reason I feel like I read things really well is because in high school I played quarterback, and, and most of the time I can tell what quarterbacks are thinking just because I have the quarterback background and everything like that. So it was 
that definitely helped me out a lot and just being able to see the quarterback eyes and play, the, play on the ball. With me, if the ball's an egg, it just gives me a great opportunity to play the ball. And with me being on the other side of the ball, it, it, it scares quarterback to put the ball in the air. So I feel like it gives me a great advantage. I like hearing that because I just feel, and maybe this is going too far, but I just feel like the Chiefs haven't really had a ball hawk instinct guy since Peters. No, they don't. They haven't had you know a ton of ball skills uh, on their on their team consistently. Even like Steven Nelson, I don't think he had great ball skills. I know he had a few picks last year, but it wasn't like um, because of exceptional ball skills. So getting a guy like that, and I think Tyron Matthew has a little bit of that too. So. I mean that's a that's a good group. I think I think uh, I think uh, Bashad Breeland might have a little bit of that as well. So I think you know they've really done a good job of addressing guys that can make plays on the ball. Not only was the All State on defense, he won two state championships as quarterback. So it just shows you what he's thinking yeah. that quarterback mentality. Remember Spencer Ware? Spencer Ware he went to LSU as what a quarterback before they changed him. He was a big time quarterback before LSU changed him, but. I think it's interesting. You're, you're talking two-time state champion, you know, high school quarterback, and you have those those that can't you played the position. You know what I'm talking Not about? Not well, you, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? No, though, I but, but you understand it. Yeah, and, I do. I, and, and I you played in college. The position, I was not good. You understand the coverages and what you're saying. Yeah. And not only that, but when you're playing defensive back, you want to position yourself to trick right. the quarterback into what he's doing. And if you're thinking what the quarterback's thinking, I think this helps him transition to defense even better in that corner safety mentality because he, in the six interceptions, back up knowing and tricking the quarterback with the ball hawking ability. Right, having that background, having that understanding of both coverages and what quarterbacks are doing to try to attack those coverages definitely will make an impact because you you said, you know, maybe if you, you know, when you're a quarterback, you try to look off a safety. You know, you kind of get him head in one direction. Push your Mahomes and throw it. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is changing how football is played, but... Um, you're right. I mean, there's there's some things that being a deep safety, getting to see the entire coverage, getting to see the quarterback and how he's approaching everything definitely could help him and, and maybe attributing to some of his ball skills. You are right. But I love this pick. Same thing. I, 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 I'm a huge fan of this pick. It might be, I, it may not be my favorite pick because there's two other selections in this draft that I absolutely loved. The ones that you nailed. I'm guessing. <laughs> no. Well, maybe. The one thing I got to give it to you, Ken, is in the KC draft guide, you pretty much, as far as it. Chiefs fits, I mean, everyone that they picked, I believe in the first three picks, were high, correct? Yes, they were all high picks. Um, and you had high likelihood the Chiefs would get them. I, I mean, yeah, it was basically that. I don't know if we like thought for sure that they were going to be good, yeah, but we you thought, guys set your bar pretty high. We friend. thought they were. We thought they were good players that made a lot of sense in their draft <laughs> ranges to where they're being picked. You guys yeah. set the bar pretty high for draft guide number two. Oh yeah, we did. We're we're a little scared about that, but that's a good if, problem if you, to have. I think Jay, good time to start. You know, spring. The if you don't been. think that I haven't realized that, <laughs> I think May actually realized it too. And this was the draft guide. This was a, a whirlwind project. I, I, I got to say, I mean, I, I want to be, now that I have the public airwaves, tremendous job, it but hours tremendous. and hours and hours. And I, I the think fact that you guys at Airhead Pride did this is incredible. I think it got enough buzz where next year's is going to be, I mean, I think everyone is going to be waiting for that day <laughs> when it comes out. <laughs> Hope so. I want to talk about the third round pick. His name is Colin Saunders. Uh, that's something that all Chiefs fans should know. It's spelled K H A L E N, but his name is Colin Saunders. He does backflips. He's 300 pounds. We'll talk about it next. Welcome back to the Arrowhead Pride Draft Recap. Pete Sweeney hanging out with Ken Swanson, Jay Binkley, Ben Alper. 
into the second hour. At 10 a.m., Jay Binkley, Bink Sunday. But we got you for the next hour with the Arrowhead Pride. Expect a lot of the same. Expect a lot of the same. We got you for the next hour with... That's a great tease. I'm sure Chiefs <laughs> fans out there would love that. No, I, anyway. you know, Matty Lane's going to chime in with us, huh? There, there you go. go. It's a Matty Lane. He's got some... Bink, he, here's what you need to ask him about. Um, you need to ask him about Miko Hardman, and you need to ask him about Darwin Thompson. Those are two guys you have to talk to him about. I promise you, it'll be worth your time. Before we get into those guys, let's talk about Colin Sanders, or I'm sorry, Colin Saunders, the 324 pound back flipper. Yeah, I mean, it just, you know, kind of showed athleticism. And, uh, you know, my, my frame is not really supposed to be able to flip like that. So I think it just kind of uh, got a little publicity from, from, you know, showing athleticism and showing that I'm a little bit unique from, from that uh, average. You've already seen from Chiefs fans that they're ready for Saunders after touchdowns to be backflipping sidelines. What can we expect from this guy on the defensive line? Colin Saunders is one of my favorite prospects in this class. He's so much fun, and we had the pleasure of watching him at the Senior Bowl this year. Uh, same with a couple other guys uh, in this class, but like Juan Thornhill. But um, Colin Saunders, he played at a lower level of competition at Western Illinois. Uh, so there's some questions about competition level. He went to the Senior Bowl, and he had some excellent reps against first-round picks like Garrett Bradbury. Uh, and, and so you saw a, a guy that was able to translate some of his skill sets from a lower level in, against even better competition. He's an extremely good athlete. I mean, and you, obviously, if you're doing backflips, that, that's got to be the case. But the way he moves for a guy his size um, is, is rare. And it's a it's going to be a tremendous value to the Chiefs as as kind of a a backup three technique for Chris Jones. So Chris Jones plays sixty five snacks snaps snacks. Chris Jones probably has about sixty five. Uh, he he probably does. He's he's going to uh, that chicken place downtown at the parlor. But um, Colin Saunders will be kind of his his replacement. You know, from a you know for thirty five percent of the snaps, and he's going to be able to do a lot of the stuff that Steve Spagnuolo wants. He's got the personality that people want. Prospect is what I think. That he is. It's going to take a while. He was just second team FCS. I mean, he wasn't even first team all FCS, but it doesn't matter. I mean, this guy made Trez's all juice team. I believe this is the fifth straight year that somebody from the all juice team. I, I tweeted has that the other day death taxes and juice on the Chiefs. Yeah. But the athleticism that he possesses will be different. But the, the level of competition does concern me. Tando Passanio, you know, dominated. Well, he was okay at the FC level. I'm not going to say dominate. I think I think that uh, Saunders is a better player than right. what Passanio was at the FCS level. But it is always a concern when you're playing in the Missouri Valley sure. and then you're playing in the NFL. But he did have some good reps at the Senior Bowl. But it, this year, I think rotational basis with the Chiefs. Absolutely. I think he develops into a starter with the Kansas City Chiefs wow. in that 4-3 scheme. This year is not that year. I do think he has the capability, but I think the Chiefs are in such a rotation basis. Right. He may not be. I mean, he may start and then not start and then start. He might be that guy. But as far as the one-gap responsibility in the 4-3, this guy – well, again, poor man's Aaron Donald, and I hate when people make those comparisons to the best player in the NFL, the FCS version of Aaron Donald. That's always a scary thing when you're comparing somebody that I feel is the best defensive player in the NFL. You have to do that with caution. And I don't think that they need him to be a starter necessarily. What they need from him is to take his athletic profile, the things that he's able to do already with his movement skills. Steve Spagnola loves to stunt and twist 
defensive lineman. So he's not just going to be lining up in one gap and staying in that gap. He's going to be looping the other gaps. He's going to be doing a lot of different things with, with his movement skills that are going to cause problems for the protections that the def- or the offense are trying to run. And um, he his value is there. I think he is a guy, like if Steve Spagnuolo is looking at players and saying, I need a guy that's athletic that's going to allow me to move him around a little bit, this guy makes a ton of sense in that aspect. I think the Senior Bowl really helped him. Absolutely, with that elevated level of competition he compared did. to the FCS level. Well, some guys look scared, and some guys look uh, look like different players in that kind of. I setting, think we saw where the Senior Bowl did matter for an individual, and he's absolutely that guy. interesting. Part of the Senior Bowl for the Chiefs fans that don't know is Saunders actually missed the birth of his child to stay at the Senior Bowl. Oh uh, yeah, no, it, it was tough. You know, um, you know decision that. That uh, it was a tough one to have to be made, but uh, you know my wife and I, you know we just decided that it was the best move for me at that time. You know I didn't, uh, you know it wasn't like I always, I always say to this day, it wasn't a either or uh, decision. You know it wasn't like I'm picking this game over my daughter's birth or anything like that. I, I always say it was a cause and effect. Um, you know I, I, I'm having a child, I'm having a daughter, and uh, you know I want to provide for. Her. I want to I want to be the best father that I can be. And, and doing that, you know, the NFL is one of the best jobs you can have. I mean, being a professional athlete, you know, there's not much I would need for. So, um, you know, it was just one of those decisions that me and my wife made that I want to stay there and um, earn some respect, earn some notoriety, and, you know, just, just kind of uh, make a name for myself. And, and ultimately, I think it was the best decision I could have possibly made because, you know, it's just it did nothing but help me from, from staying in practice to the game to everything. It just... It did nothing but help me. It's a shame that immediate thing to me that comes to to my mind is, wow, this guy sounds – I understand he missed the birth of his child because he's trying to get this NFL lucrative job, but it's refreshing to see already how much his family means to him. And you can already tell from that soundbite. This is a good dad. <laughs> yes, you know what I mean. And even his, even his wife or his fiance, uh, kind of said, you know, go stay home, take, you know, make sure, or, you know, stay there. You know, we know how important this is. She understood. Like, there's a, there's a very close. There's, I mean, bond. there's a better there's, life connected to him getting right. a higher draft pick. He right. just made the college education for his kid by sure. basically doing that. Not only that. He did a little hungry pig too in college. He actually caught a touchdown pass. He's a big boy. As well. He's got some ball skills, man. He can go up and get combine, it. But he did catch a touchdown pass as they Western Illinois went a little hungry pig. There was a picture of my guy Mitch Holtis and the other two draft picks and Saunders going around the internet yesterday. It was at the draft fest. Man, Saunders is huge. He is. He's just, big. He is a house. He's thick. He's a house. I like this quote from Brett Veach. This one stuck out to me after the pick of Saunders when it came to the full defensive line. Can't have enough of athletic DTs, and, and that defensive line now, um, we were looking at our, at our two-deep roster, and you know you had Frank Clark, and then you had a, a Saunders, and then an Ogba in the offseason, and Okafor, and Chris Jones, and Derek Nottie, and Breland Speaks, and Tano, and uh, we looked at that defensive line uh, right after the draft, and um, we were all smiling. Here's the thing, too, for me, Pete. Justin Lane goes to the Steelers right before him. And I'm kind of wondering if the Chiefs go Justin Lane, that he's still there. Uh, Kahali Waring goes two picks. Jalen Ferguson, believe it or not, my guy goes right behind him (laughs) in the draft. But Kahali Waring is one of the the best tight ends, in my opinion, in the draft. And, again, this is a position the Chiefs didn't get. But they chose Saunders over Waring. I mean, they're truly the only guy – that I could see him going, Connor McGovern, maybe in that situation. Good but player. the thing that Justin Lane went in front of him, I'm halfway wondering if the Chiefs would have gone 
Justin Lane instead of Saunders. Yeah, I did wonder because that kind of made sense from a length and ball skills perspective. Justin Lane did. Maybe, I don't know if they trusted him as a tackler. That's one thing, you know, Steve Spagnuolo covets is, is guys that have the ability to tackle. I don't know if that would have been a, a deal breaker for them with him, but um yeah, I it was I was a I was kind of surprised they went with interior defensive linemen uh that early, but I get it at the same time just because the Chiefs only have one currently uh defensive lineman that's Derek Nadi under contract in 2020. Chris Jones probably will be thrown into that mix as well, but I think, yeah, I think I they think, need, they need depth. I think Chris Jones ends up getting that contract, but I just look at the defensive line and a reason why I love that quote is what was the token of the Bob Sutton defense? It was a running back from another team coming into Arrowhead, running on your ass, and hopefully you could still find a way to win the game. They finally, I think, have really focused on the defensive line, and now it might be a strength. Well, the Ogba that comes over from Cleveland, when, when he was hurt, teams averaged another yard per carry against the Browns. He's a good run stuffer. He had developed in the, the – the, he hadn't become that guy he was in college as far as getting to the quarterback, although I think he's young and he could get to that point. Uh, swatting the ball down is huge. He actually has one more swat than Chris Jones does of quarterbacks, uh, passes defended. But this is a, a heavy run, concentrated defense. As far as it's going to put Patrick Mahomes on the field more. Sure. Now, if that helps Patrick Mahomes put up bigger numbers, maybe even lesser numbers, because if you build a lead like 21 to nothing against the Steelers with this defense, you don't need Mahomes to keep doing Texas Tech where he has to score a touchdown every single play because the Chiefs were Texas Tech in 2016 last year. Now, I just keep going back and thinking about a month and a half ago, everyone freaking out about this defense. And you look in what they've done, and piece by piece, they've they've built and, and, and made adjustments and, and really cobbled together a quality group of defensive linemen and a quality defense in general. You talked about Ogba, you talk, assigning Okafor, trading for Frank Clark, all these moves. All of a sudden, you look at this thing and go, okay, I get it now. That group, you're right, Bink. They're going to be good against the run. They do all the things that Steve Spagnuolo requires of his of his defensive linemen, and they've got bodies. They've got depth. Uh, if if a guy like Chris Jones went down, you know, if you'd said a month ago Chris Jones goes down in the middle of the season, you'd be terrified of your defense. But you're not as scared as you were now because Frank Clark carries some of that burden, carries some of that load. They've got some quality hey, yeah, sack production. And I know people were worried about sacks, but again, Patriots thirtieth in sacks, but six in pressure. Yeah, you don't need sacks. The pressure is a and they'll be able a to pressure at a high but they, level. You know what? I've been on record saying this for a while. This defense is already better than last year, and this is before the draft, before the Frank Clark signing. I'm saying fundamentally different with this. I don't think people realize how good this coaching staff now, that they've assembled is. This is an all-star excellent. coaching staff uh, on defense. Not only that, we've seen Doug Peterson go on, Matt Nagy on the offense. We haven't seen defensive guys go on. You could with Matt House and Brendan Daly see guys be the next defensive coordinator go on. We have not had that quality of depth on the defensive side as far as coaching, which I think makes all the difference in the world. But this coaching staff, outside of Britt Reed getting in, you know, staying here, he was the only guy that stayed. Wonder why. But <laughs> this 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 defensive coaching staff is they do get the best out of their talent. It Brennan Daly with what he did with the Patriots defensive line, remarkable. Matt House, can't say enough about him. He's just a position coach. This guy was the best defensive coordinator in college football last year, in my opinion. He's just your linebacker coach. I I get this i i think that you look at the defensive staff as a whole you think of the changes and yeah you let some stars go uh, the stars of yesteryear and ford and houston I, I unfortunately don't even count barry in that just because i think his career you know for for worse it's over uh but you get rid of houston 
and you get rid of Ford, and, you, and you're concerned about that. But it's hard not to look at the coaching staff and listen to Spagnolo and listen to Brett Veach, see the additions, Frank Clark, Tyron Matthew. Uh, you look at Juan Thornhill, who, who's exciting now, an exciting player, I, I think, as a rookie who you haven't had in a while. And it's hard not to feel better about this defense as a unit. Again, you uh, you you think about D Ford, you think about the year he's going to have, but as a unit, this has to be better than. And I think year. it matters with Tyreek Hill too. Are you going to score the same amount of points the Chiefs did last year without Tyreek Hill? No. But are you going to give up fewer points defensively? You know, you have a top fifteen defense at this point, in my opinion. Yes, you're losing the top end speed possibly of Tyreek Hill, but let's face it, this defense is much better. He's not going to be. At, Pat Mahomes is not going to be his, but what you do is you have a 23-year-old MVP quarterback and you actually have a legitimate defense, which Tyreek Hill or not, this makes a difference with this team only because this defense is so much better. And we saw the Patriots hold the first, second, sixth highest scoring offenses in the NFL to 10 points in the first half last year. Defense did matter when it came to the postseason. Yeah, and the defense will be able to carry some of that burden moving forward, and especially with Tyreek Hill's situation. You hope that they're able to get more um, out of the defense. I will say this, though. Just because Tyreek Hill is not on this team, obviously he makes a huge impact. There's still going to be a very good offense, and Patrick Mahomes is going to continue to do the things that he does. I know it may might be different. It might not be the same way, but... I still have a ton of confidence in this group and Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid to continue to have a high-flying offense, even though it might wind up being a little bit different than it was last year. You guys mentioned Tyreek Hill. Well, Brandon Kylie of the leadoff had Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio on yesterday to talk about Tyreek Hill. Florio suggesting not only should Hill be off the Chiefs, he should be out of the NFL. We'll play that clip for you next. You are listening to the Arrowhead Pride Draft Recap. The Chiefs wrapping up their three-day draft yesterday. Also yesterday, our guy Brandon Kiley. He's got a new show called The Leadoff. Check it out. 10 a.m. to noon on Saturdays. Kylie with the big league pull yesterday, getting Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio to join him. And the attention grabber of this one was the Tyree Kill, who, of course, has had his... Criminal case reopened after KCTV5 played the audio on their telecast this week of the exchange between him and his fiance Crystal Espinal and Tyreek Hill uh, talking about his child and abuse and at one point threatening Espinal, so on and so forth. Uh, Florio has weighed in. He's been very vocal about how he has a problem with Hill playing in the National Football League. And here was his uh, drop from yesterday with Brandon Kiley. Well, yeah, I mean, this is very simple to me. Look, we all suspended disbelief to a certain extent when Tyreek Hill entered the NFL and became a star player. This round pick, in large part because of the things he admitted to doing while he was at Oklahoma State, choking and assaulting Crystal Espinal, who at the time was pregnant with the three-year-old child who's now at the center of this latest controversy. And once Tyreek Hill showed a phenomenal degree of talent, we just kind of thought, well, okay, he's learned from it, he's changed, he's different. Maybe he's not a monster. Maybe he's not evil at his core. And as he got better and better and became more and more of a dynamic player and I think one of the best receivers in the NFL because of how he affects the defense, it, it, it started to push farther and farther into the rearview mirror. And I think for me, and I think for anybody else who's heard that audio, once you hear that, once you hear him say, you should be terrified of me, too, I mean, that is chilling. What, what reasonable and rational people engage in an argument 
about whether or not a small child respects a parent or is afraid of the parent by saying, well, you know what, you should be terrified of me too, in a very menacing voice. I mean, that tells me that what happened four years ago wasn't the aberration. What happened four years ago is who the guy is. And this is where the Chiefs have to say, we can't tolerate having this guy on our team. And I think the NFL needs to step in, use its very broad powers under the personal conduct policy to prevent John Dorsey from signing him in Cleveland, because Dorsey is the guy who drafted him in Kansas City and the guy who signed Kareem Hunt, prevent anyone else from saying, hey, you know what, we'll give the guy another chance. That's where the NFL needs to stand the personal conduct policy. This guy is banished for life, period. There are certain lines that can't be crossed, and this line is crossed. And, and I know that there's due process and hearings and innocent until proven guilty, and the prosecutor is going to have a hell of a time turning that audio into evidence that can be admitted in a trial and lead to a conviction of anyone. But I think any fair-minded person with common sense who hears that audio knows instantly that this man is not fit for the privilege of playing in the National Football League and never should play in another NFL football game ever again. Hard to argue with the point from Florio. And I think, again, and, and Jay, you, you were fair with this. I mean, you said, listen, he didn't admit to anything on the tape, and I think that's 100% true. What you can take from the tape, though, and this has nothing to do with crime or whatnot, is that Kansas City, back when they drafted him, gave him another chance. They said, trust us, this guy uh, has changed, so on and so forth. He was really good, really, really good, about to become potentially the richest wide receiver in the game. He proved with some of the things he said on that tape that he's the same guy. He's the same guy. Mm -hmm. And that is why he not only shouldn't be on the Kansas City Chiefs, he shouldn't be in the National Football League. And I, I get it. Fans are out there, and the football, the football part of it, right or not, gets intertwined with this. He shouldn't be allowed to play for the Chiefs. He shouldn't be allowed to play for anyone. And I know the Chiefs have continued to run with the deeply disturbed line, and I, 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 we all are deeply disturbed by that, and I keep hearing everyone in the building say that. But for the time being, while Tyreek Hill is on the Chiefs roster, whether or not he's been asked to be removed or, or whatever, uh, or to not come into the building or anything like that, he still looms over this organization right now. And and every minute that he's here uh, is just it's, is another minute too long for me. And Florio comes, back, comes from a legal background, so he understands the legal process. Will it be difficult to prove for the uh, district attorney? Maybe. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. Conviction might be difficult. Not only that, Crystal Espinal indicted herself by talking about writing with him, meaning you weren't forthright with the authorities. I mean, I, she gave this, this audio to somebody else, but she indicted herself during this whole thing to try to get admittance from guilt from Tyreek Hill, but he didn't do it. Now, here's the thing. that What happened at Oklahoma State did not happen in the NFL, and the NFL might view this as a first-time offense. I don't know how they're going to view it because I'm sure Roger Goodell is – Last CBA, they gave the power to Roger Goodell, and I think the players regret doing that, but yeah. he's got the power, and he's got the hammer, and we've seen what's happened to Ezekiel Elliott. Nothing was ever proven on him. This guy was wait and see and missed six games last year by the wait and see attitude. Does he play in the NFL again? I think he does. I think just my only thing is beyond the legal process, Bink, he threatened his, he threatened his pregnant with twins mm -hmm. fiance. I don't know how the NFL can overlook that. I don't know how any... NFL team can can take on that. The NFL doesn't that. overlook though, Kent. That's my thing. They should, but they don't. I 
this is different than this is different than and I think maybe we'll find out about you know like with the Ray Rice situation he wasn't particularly good when the incident happened but there was audio or video of him doing that Tyreek Hill threatened his two or his pregnant with twins fiance can an NFL team honestly take the firestorm this is a bigger firestorm than we've ever seen compared to you know I think it's a bigger and it might wind up being as big a firestorm as the Ray Rice situation because this guy is actually if if a team is willing to take a chance on this is the kind of t- guy that they would because of his incredible talent the but te- the teams I mean the teams in the league GMs do desperately this is going to be a popular take I understand that the teams in the league should get together like they did with Colin Kaepernick and say none of us are going to sign this guy. Why is that issue? You're all for collusion, Pete. I I I, I believe it. I I just there was ever if, a time for collusion. And, and okay, so what, what you don't want to say collusion? You just say all oh, the teams. There was an aspect of that. I think everyone could admit that they just didn't want the media headache. So you want that media headache over this one? Even if you don't want to call it. What collusion. I'm saying is desperate GMs make desperate measures. They try to save their own job. I I understand, but I think there. I mean, there's a line. I you you've got to be. A, there's got to be a line, and I just I, a guy, th- a, an audio clip of someone threatening their pregnant with twins fiance might be that line. I, I'm with you, but you know you know how news cycles work. It's the, the, the audio can be the audio will stick. I, that I, audio I will stick I know, around. But I'm not sure. That- I think you're always guaranteed a second chance at America. I think that has been more than apparent over sure. the years with all different types of deals. This would be. You've you you messed up once. Four years later, still kind of sounded like the same dude. But they need that conviction from Johnson County because if they don't, I don't have the conviction, they, I don't know I, if they do. I just don't know if they do because there he is, and I get it. I'm just saying from a team decision standpoint, I get it. I'm just saying a team decision standpoint, law or not, you would be signing a guy who essentially has now again he didn't admit, but he was caught being the same dude that made that awful mistakes that we can all agree and, and pled guilty in college. I just don't think you you could do that. I, I guess you could do it, Jay. You're, you're right. was cut on you could do it. Is it the right thing to do? Do you town, want your team he's with that doing team. that? No. It's the most gut-wrenching piece of audio that the NFL has ever had in its entire existence. It is the most – any form of media, video, I it's horrific. So you're saying there's obviously been worse video. You're saying – Audio the audio is, is is yeah. It's there's just there's no chance. I don't think that a team can can deal with this firestorm. This is the most unique firestorm in the history of the National Football League. If some team tries to take this guy on, uh, Clark Hunt was asked yesterday about you know what's going on. I asked him personally, is there a timetable? He kept saying no. Kept pointing back to the Chiefs' initial statement and really kept saying that they're waiting for this ongoing investigation. It's a little unclear as to what exactly is happening behind the scenes. There was um, there was some tweets, Ken, I think you were alluding to this maybe off air, where the players' union could appeal a, a ban or something of the sort or um, appeal, uh, you know, I saw it yesterday, where they would win and, and Tyreek Hill would get his rights back. And that's that all could be true. I just look at this, and I, I if the NFL teams can band together and just say, listen, you, you can have a third chance at life. Go get a job or something. Go speak to some kids. But it ain't going to be with us. No. This is a business where not only, you know, do we provide entertainment, but we sell jerseys, man. You don't want your jer- – you don't want – even if you're say, – say 
the Baltimore Ravens. You don't want a Purple Hill jersey. Maybe that's a bad example. <laughs> that's probably the worst example. Maybe Let's say Jacksonville Jaguars. You don't want a Teal Hill jersey. Uh, you know, and, and what does that represent? That you gave this guy who for four or five years became, you know, was the same guy off the field and, and, and living this life. I, again, that's my opinion. As I did with the Clark situation earlier, you're entitled to yours. And, and, and I, I, you know, what are we called to do on talk radio? Provide opinions. Do your research. Hear it for yourself. Make your own opinions. But I would like to see this guy uh, out of Kansas City. We're going to get into some more draft picks. So a little bit better news. Uh, we went over the uh, third, second and third round picks. I want to get into the sixth and seventh round picks and then maybe talk a little bit about some undrafted free agents. Darwin Thompson, the running back. Woo. He's coming up next. Welcome back to the Arrowhead Pride Draft Recap. Pete Sweeney here with Ken Swanson, Jay Binkley, Ben Albert. Taking you till 10 a.m. when Jay Binkley takes over for Bink Sunday. Going to continue the draft talk all morning long. Uh, we talked about the Chiefs' second and third round picks. Nicole Hardman, Juan Thornhill, Colin Sa- Saunders. Uh, I want to get into some of these sixth round picks. Uh, particularly Rashad Fenton and then running back uh, Darwin Thompson, which I know and, and I could tell is exciting a lot of people. Kent, uh, you made a good point. If you can just reiterate that again about how maybe the Chiefs could have gotten a better cornerback had they not traded up for McColl. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the 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 pick the trade up to you know to 56 or whatever it was from 61 cost them the 167th pick in the draft and i think there was a couple cornerbacks kind of in that range that would have made some sense Corey ballantyne from washburn who's just down the street uh we got to see him at the senior bowl i got to interview him really rooting for that kid um he would have been a really nice addition compared to rashawn fenton so surrendering that that extra pick really did kind of hurt their ability to address the cornerback better than they did. Rashad Fenton's fine. I'm not like particularly optimistic that he's going to make this roster the cornerback that they actually took. So um, it would have been nice to, to get a little bit more, uh, a better addition there. Here is scout David Hinson on Rashad Fenton. Well, what we really liked is he's a tough kid with good athletic ability, has really good ball skills, and he makes plays on the ball. So that's what we saw and was attractive for us. And, you know, if we can get turnovers, that's, that's a good deal. What's great about Fenton is is if you watch South Carolina, they play a few different styles. They they do a little more shuffle, bail technique, So, but you'll see them in the off-man off and uh, zone type stuff where, where, you know, Spags likes to do a little bit of everything. And that's what Spags is great for. He mixes things up so you don't really know what you're getting. And Fenton is a smart football player that's played all the different techniques. You look at all the cornerbacks the Chiefs have, he's sixth guy on the list right now and even you're looking at some drafted free agents the clemson guy coming in who i know you're you're high on yep gonna be a reach for him to even make this roster i don't know if he's going to i don't feel overly optimistic that this guy will his athletic profile isn't like overwhelming either it's not like a guy that's like particularly um athletic or anything like that uh i, I he's he's got some ability it's just I don't know if if he's got enough and he's got the athletic profile that makes people optimistic about his ability to stick in the, at this level. Well, I know there were some question marks too with with, with him even being drafted. I yeah. mean, there was a lot of people not even thinking he was going to be drafted. Keep in mind, and this is from NFL.com. I don't really remember the story, but he didn't play the second half of the Belt Bowl. Yeah, and and it was seen as his decision of that's, what happened. At that the was end what of is that. alluded. Yes, but he's a limited tackler. 
And the zone stuff that he's talking about, he's zoned. So this is a situational type player, not one you want, but, you know, in zone coverage that Spags will use, that's where he excels. But the tackling is limited for him. Different than what you think typically of a Spags player is. Right. And and you're not wrong. And, like, that's uh, the, the thing that they kind of profiled was ball skills. So it seems like they're kind of trying to. Might just be a project, right? Practice squad project. Yeah, it, that could be it. I, I don't really feel particularly optimistic that this guy's going to make the 53-man roster. But maybe it's a guy that they develop. The other sixth-round pick is running back Darwin Thompson out of Utah State. Here with scout Trey Koziel on Darwin Thompson. Even though he, you know, you look at his size, he's 5'8", 198 pounds, but this kid's really put together, you know, and I think when you see him in the building, he's, he's a real rocked-up dude. So uh, I thought he had really good strength, really good contact balance. You know, he runs with a low center of gravity, and um, that's one of the things that the guys at Utah State mentioned. He was pound-for-pound pound probably the strongest kid in that program just in terms of his lower body strength, and so his ability to work through contact, and then obviously he's got really quick feet um, and ability to kind of make people miss out in space as well. Uh, so they run uh, a spread offense, kind of an air raid style offense. So when you get a guy who does have the ability to break tackles and does have very good contact balance and lower body strength out in the open field, um, you know I think that's where you get the you know the 6.8 yards per per carry is pretty good. And then obviously 15.3 yards per catch was really impressive too. So. This guy's been a big play, you know, a big play threat for them. You know, I know it's limited carries, but what he did, like I said, was very impressive. Thompson, the running back out of Utah State, had a chance to visit the Chiefs with Eric Bieniemy and Dylan McCullough, the running backs coach, and he's already got his whole life planned out. Meeting the player development, Coach Dylan, Coach EB, Coach Andy Reid. At the age of 35, I hope to see myself as the player development. At the age of 45, I hope to see myself as Dylan McCullough. At the age of 50, I hope to see myself as Coach EB. I just see myself growing there, and they're going to push me to grow, not only as a football player, but as a man. And once I seen that, it would, it really blew me away, just like how much I related to them guys, how much we just had that connection. Like Coach EB, for example, I mean, he got the same chip on the shoulder that I do. We both stand five, seven, five, eight. 200 pounds, Coach E.B. won the second round, ended up playing 10 years in the league and always carried that chip on the shoulder. Now, this is going to sound weird, but you got to go online and see Darwin Thompson without a shirt off. <laughs> this is a 5'8", 200-pound guy who looks like the Incredible Hulk. Not only that, he put it this – well, he didn't compete in the combine, but his bench press reps were 28. Yeah. That would have been second best amongst running backs at the combine. His broad jump would have been tied for fifth. I mean, he's a, he's a physical specimen. His vertical was 39 inches, which would have been third best amongst running backs at the combine. So he is he is built apart. But again, so is Alex Barnes. I believe Trey Cozio called him rocked up and Alex multiple Barnes, times. Alex Barnes yeah. wasn't drafted, ends up with the Titans, but led the NFL at the combine in bench press reps. The bench press reps don't matter how you can run, but he is a rocked up individual. I'm shocked the Chiefs didn't take their shirts off when they drafted him, like the Seahawks, <laughs> like Pete Carroll and DK Metcalf. I'm surprised Andy didn't pull his shirt off, you know? I, I think it's better for everyone if Andy <laughs> Reid doesn't take his shirt off. That would, be, that would be something. Darwin, that would be awesome. Darwin Thompson's one of my favorite players of this entire draft He's just class. so He's so low center of gravity, tough to bring down. Those are the guys are the toughest. The, what? the short demeanor. This guy can be an excellent third down. You know, tight back. Kent and his team graded over 250 prospects. Where did you have Thompson? I think we had him in the top 200, actually. Which around, is impressive. Around, this fifth, around the fifth round grade. He's a guy that has very discernible skill sets that could be very valuable to the Chiefs. I, and, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, 
as a pass catcher, I think there's some really quality traits to work with there. And that's, you know, an element to this game when he, you know, I think he's going to be able to separate from linebackers with ease. You know, some of these bigger running backs that they have, there's great value in what they do. But this guy is adding an extra element or two to that running back room with his ability in space, his quickness, his ability to run and get out of routes, break out of routes. Um, So I like his value. And I think he could be a a really nice change of pace back that they give five to seven touches every game. 15 yards per reception. In yeah. the running back position, which is about damn impressive. It's about it, what Miko Hardman had this year. And I think we've realized over in recent years, I think we realized over recent years that you look at running backs and they could be undrafted. They could be late round guys. They could be a third rounder like Kareem Hunt. A lot of it is system. It's utilization. And who knows? I mean, you look at this running back right, right now. Nothing against Damian Williams and Carlos Hyde, who I, of course, think will be there. Daryl Williams. But would you be completely shocked if by the end of the year the Chiefs are featuring this rookie more than everybody else by the end of the season? Because Darrell Williams is that guy. We keep forgetting about him. I think I would be a little bit surprised if Darwin I'm just saying it wouldn't be feature back. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. I'm just saying as far as as far as touches and. I don't think you'd be one million percent shocked. He screams third down back to me. He screams like, and I, I guess like my big question for him is: Yes, he is well built, and and he is he's ro- he's rocked up. He's rocked up. I just wonder if you want to be if that's a guy you want to give twenty touches to. I think he might be better in that. You know, maybe at, at the high end, that ten to fifteen touch range, where you know you he might become a value. He's going to be. I I anticipate he'll be a valuable piece to this offense. I just wonder how much you're able to give him of a, of a workload. Last one I want to touch upon before we get into grades in the next segment is the offensive lineman Nick Allegretti. Here was Terry Delp on Allegretti. I'll say this, I don't usually get excited watching linemen, but he was exciting to watch because he just gets after people. Like, he he will throw people around. He's got a nasty edge, like, strong, really patient, under control, smart player. I mean, he's just, he's fun to watch, and he's an offensive lineman. That was Delp's recurring point, is this guy tosses people. We had an opportunity to talk to Allegretti on a conference call. He seems like a really smart guy. He was so stressed about the draft, he was doing a puzzle. He likes to challenge himself <laughs> with puzzles. Uh, I believe Delp earlier in the press conference. That's what Brad conference. Keller does, crosswords. Yeah, oh. earlier, in the, earlier in the press conference, Delp called Allegretti um, uh, just a boring offensive lineman. It seems like he's going to fit right in with the Chiefs room. I, I don't really have much on Nick Allegretti. I do know that the Chiefs have done a pretty good job of identifying interior offensive linemen, both through undrafted free agency. I think LDT was a sixth round. LDT was a sixth round pick. This guy was a seventh round pick. So, you know, they've done a good job typically and historically of identifying guys that make a lot of sense and that are able to fit into their offense along the interior. And I'm, I'm imagining Allegretti is a guy that caught this group's attention. And if that's the case, um, I, you got to be optimistic about him. I'm gonna go. We're gonna go dig in and find some Allegretti tape. Uh, we haven't really watched much of him. He he wasn't really on a lot of people's radars. ESPN didn't really have a grade on him or anything along those lines in their draft analysis either. And they do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of players. They have over 500 in their database. So uh, NFL.com called him an undrafted free agent. But, yeah. but that's what seventh rounders are. That's what that's I mean. Throwing these are, dart, but you, your name before you. You're taking your priorities on. You don't. Your, on you your don't want to agents. put him out there for for anyone else to get him. I mean, I wonder this. This is my biggest question. And the 324-pound Saunders teach 
a 320 pound Allegretti had a backflip. I don't know. Maybe the yeah. I don't know. I doubt it. I, I think that's. I think that's not. There's like one guy on the plane in this entire draft class, 324 pounds. If I'm the that. Chiefs, I'm telling he's a two year team captain. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like those are the kind of things. And he can play center and guard and yeah. do those things. But again, it's a seventh round pick, and it's very difficult to make the team. One thing Delp also talked about was his leadership ability, and I, I believe you really need that if you're going to play center in this league. It's always good to have offensive linemen who could play a lot of different positions. How many times over the past few years around along the old line have the Chiefs had injuries, albeit like a concussion or a leg, yeah. so on and so forth? I mean, in a matter of weeks last year, the Chiefs got down to their third center. So you don't know when these injuries can happen. They're common along the offensive line, so they go and get which should be a depth guy, and who knows, in the future. So, Well, Dr. Tardif was a sixth-round pick, but he was a third-rounder in the CFL. That just shows you there. <laughs> Think about Jay, that. I was a the dude is a Canadian, and he's a third-rounder in the CFL. But there's not that many teams. So. When we come back, the moment you've all been waiting for, undrafted free agents. No, just kidding. Woo! Draft grade. That's what you want, the draft grade. We'll be back. Wrapping up the Arrowhead Pride draft recap. The Chiefs finishing up their three-day draft, ending up with six players yesterday. But they do have a number of undrafted free agents. We're tracking them right now on ArrowheadPride.com. Kent, give me a couple names of guys to watch to maybe make this 53-man roster or at least compete. I've got five. Peter Sweeney, and that's a lot for a group here. I'll just run through them that's real quick. Actually, uh, it's one more than I thought you'd have. I thought you'd have, you'd have four. <laughs> <laughs> We've got uh, there's there's three guys that actually got ranked in the top 250 uh, in the KC draft guide. I think the the crown jewel of this group is Mark Fields, the cornerback from Clemson. Um, he actually came into the national championship and locked up the uh, Alabama wide receiver group, which is not a hard or which is a tall task. Jamal Custis, the wide receiver Woo! from Syracuse. Woo! I don't know how he survived playing uh, playing up there, up north in New York. But uh, Dino Babers, high flying offense. So. The hashtag source alert. He uh, he he's he's a big guy, six four, over six four. Kind of your poor man's Hakeem Butler is what. Looks uh, like Jake Patrick Mahomes has a new best friend. Maybe, dude. This this guy has a chance. <laughs> no, Garrett's best friend. <laughs> Who, by the way, was out uh, playing golf with Travis Kelsey, uh, according to a source. Uh oh, left uh, triangle. Running back James Williams, his path to success and path to making this roster is probably a little bit reduced with Darwin Thompson, but he's one of the best pass-catching running backs in this entire class. I think he had over 80 catches at Washington State. Two guys that weren't ranked that we like, Gary Johnson, the linebacker from Texas. Blazing speed, probably needs to improve his change of direction ability, but he's a guy that very well could make it as a special teamer. And then Cody Thompson, the wide receiver from Toledo, another pretty good-sized guy. Not great long speed, but some good explosive numbers and a very productive career at Toledo. Any of those guys you you think Kent should have been drafted? Yeah, I think a few of these guys. Mark Fields, I definitely think, should have been selected. The thing with Mark Fields, and some people are higher on him than us. Uh, someone had him as a top 110 player at the, over the draft network, but... Uh, there's some reports that he might have rubbed the uh, the Clemson coaching staff the wrong way, and if the Clemson coaching staff isn't going to vouch for you, there's a good chance you're probably going undrafted. So I think that's probably why he wasn't selected. I could have seen Williams and Custis getting drafted pretty pretty easily as well. Mark Fields is the one I like the best, and I had mocked him to the Chiefs in the seventh round. I thought he was worth it. That four three seven speed, and people said, why wasn't Mark Fields taken? Well, he had less than a thousand snaps at Clemson, only started one game last year, but they just screams. Special teamer to me. And how about Kyle Shermer, the quarterback? This guy broke Jay Cutler's 
passing records at Vanderbilt. Big guy, too, 6'4", 230 pounds. Never going to see the field in Kansas City. But you know what? <laughs> Never going to see the field. Never if you can develop a quarterback, you can end up trading him. Though, oh, Chase Litton's around here. I, I'd rather have Chase Litton than Kyle Shermer. I'll just really? be honest with you. Yeah, I've watched Coach Shermer this year. Coach's son, though. I know he's, he's a smart player, and I, the arm talent's limited. There's a couple of plays that flash every now and then. But I was like, hoping for Anthony Johnson, the wide receiver out of Buffalo. And Tyree Jackson, the quarterback there. Ends up going to Buffalo. I was a little bit surprised Jake Browning not selected in this from Washington. This guy was, people were looking at him. Nick Fitzgerald, the kind of numbers he put up, especially playing tight end. He might be a tight end this year. Yeah, I, I'm with you. With something like that, I'm a little bit surprised on that. But uh, the Mark Fields, for sure, because I felt he was a draftable player. I do, too. I, I think a lot of people did. And I think if, if you look at it, if you look at it on his face, there some of the stuff that you hear about the Clemson coaching staff might be true as far as you know, kind of critiquing him. Because if he didn't get selected... I, there was no reason from a talent perspective that he shouldn't have been. James Fields, not a fan of that. Again, it's a stop-start position at Washington State. Huge splits, huge there offensive is. line. Very similar to what Leach did at Texas Tech. But he had good production. We're talking about 83 catches. And this guy's on the Chiefs, you know, as, as a uh, undrafted guy. But 83 catches and 560 yards rushing. Don't sleep on James Williams. I actually wrote about him and, for I mean, another Williams running back. I love you, that. you need yeah, another like Williams. Williams. Any Williams, like Williams that you can add. <laughs> I actually like this guy. I do too. I, I wrote about him on for our 25 days of draft miss articles over on Arrowhead Pride. We profiled one player every day um, on Arrowhead Pride, and he was one of the guys that I, I identified. I wouldn't mind taking him in any point in the fifth round or the sixth round just because of his pass-catching traits. The fact that they went with Dar Darwin, he's probably a better player overall, but I thought from a pure pass-catching standpoint, Williams made a lot of sense. We talked about some undrafted guys. I want to turn now back to the draft class. Hardman, Thornhill, Saunders, Fenton, Thompson, and Allegretti. We could just go around the table Kent, your grade for the draft of 2019 and why? I gave it a B, and I almost gave it a B-plus over on Arrowhead Pride, but I don't love the move up for Nicole Hardman. I thought it was a little bit of a reach from a from a value perspective, both from the player and moving up. You lost your opportunity to maybe address cornerback differently with a guy like Corey Ballantyne because you did it. Um, but I still think there's a path to success for Nicole Hardman. I love the Thornhill pick. I love the Kalen, Colin Saunders pick. No thorn on your side here. No thorn in my side there. And Darwin Thompson, those are three excellent values. I think all three of those will contribute this year. Would you go with B? I went with a B. You know what? I'm going to do the same thing. And the biggest reason why is Frank Clark. Because I'm still considering. I can't not look at this draft class and not realize you gave up a one for Frank Clark. So, to me, it is a B. I really like Juan Thornhill. I think you should get at least three starters down the line. From a draft class, especially in the yeah, limited picks like the Chiefs. But I do feel that they have them. Now, I only said, what is 2019? Because the window, you got to win now when you're not paying Patrick Mahomes. Do you have enough talent to win now? Thornhill, I think so. Hardman, that was a necessity pick because of what's going on with Tyreek Hill. They could say what they want, but that's why Hardman was taken. Because Hardman wouldn't have been taken by the Chiefs that early, and they wouldn't have moved up for him if there wasn't this pressing need for speed, trying to find that poor man's Tyreek Hill. In my opinion, they reached on that because they had to. Right. That put him in a different draft position going with Hardman. They had to adjust their plan in order to try to compensate for what well, they happened. They can say what them. they want, but that's why he's taken. And if Hardman hits, this is, an, this is a slam dunk draft. This is a killer draft. If uh, if if Nicole Hardman does show out and produce and, and really kind of lives up to that billing, this could be 
an exceptional draft class when it's all said and done. I've seen McColl called a poor man's Tyree Kill, and it's not a poor man's Tyree Kill. It's a younger version, I think. Well, you just don't know what he could develop into when it comes to I think you have receiving. to say that, though, because how electric he was. We're talking about the fastest guy in the NFL. And how productive Tyree Kill wound up being. Like I, I get what you're saying, Bink. I, I kind of agree. It's just like Colin Sanders is the poor man's Aaron Donald. You know? <laughs> Everybody's the poor man's something, right? My, 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 yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a grade for this class. McColl? I'm gonna, first, I'm going to give him quick, quick individual. Go first. for it. McCall gets a B minus because listen, C. you got to give someone to build up from. Thornhill, I agree with you, Ken. I think he's a starter. A uh, Colin Saunders. If anytime you have a three hundred pounder, he's <laughs> doing gymnastics. That's Again, a, don't be that's Tano Passanio here. That's an A plus. That's an A plus for me. He, <laughs> you, you know why he can't be Tano Passanio, Jay? Because Veach he looks took, great getting because off the Veach bus. Took him because he's good. You know, you know who Veach didn't take. Tano. Yeah, we should have had Juju Smith-Schuster. That's a different story for another day. But You're very angry about that. I am still. I'm bitter. Bank Sunday coming up at 10. Rashad Fenton. C-minus for Rashad Fenton. Um, I don't see how he makes this roster like Kent. Darwin Thompson. R for Rocked Up. Darwin Thompson. He gets an R for Rocked Up. <laughs> He's body beautiful. If you're body beautiful, I don't care if you're a man or a woman. A. Nick, <laughs> Nick Allegretti. B minus. Uh, I do like the fact that he plays puzzles. Uh, <laughs> I'm a huge plus. You're an easy grader here. Listen to me. I wish I was in your class, Pete. Hey, real quickly, Kent, would you have gone Paris Kent, Campbell though instead of Hardman? Kent, I probably would have. Can B Campbell plus job on the show today. Uh, the whole <laughs> the whole draft class. I think I, I give him a B. Uh, or, actually, I'm going to give, give a, because give I'm nicer than Kent. Guy was on, on point. Uh, because I'm nicer than Kent. I'm going to give this draft class a solid A minus. Uh, wow. I didn't like the draft class last year. Did you pass that red Kool-Aid? Speaks, Speaks was a terrible pick, <laughs> at least for last year. At least it was last year. He might do better in the 4-3. Uh, He's probably going to play three-take if I would you saw say his last year's, last year's draft probably got a C-plus. So this is a big jump for Brett Veach. Uh, we'll have to keep this recording so that we know that Veach is building up from the A-minus when In four when it comes years, we will tell, year. right? Yeah. Who's your favorite player of the draft? Very quickly. Oh, man, that's tough. Uh, give me Juan Thornhill, Kalen Sanders, and Darwin Thompson. I can't do it. I thought you were going Allegretti, <laughs> but I'm going Thornhill. <laughs> Thornhill. Thornhill's probably the best player and has the best chance to knock off Danny Sorensen for the starting job. I just don't look at this uh, roster. Oh, that's a huge move, too. I mean... <laughs> Are we going to call him? Are we going to call him? What, Is he the poor Dirty one. Dirty one. <laughs> Um, all right, that's 20 it. Juan. That's it. That, we're, His number is 21. As I you think. can tell, we have to get off the air. Um, <laughs> I'm going to thank Ken Swanson. Ben Alpert did a fantastic job. Thanks to Jay Binkley. Thanks to my new friends, McColl, Juan, Colin, Rashad, Darwin, and Nick. An A-minus draft uh, for the, the great Brett Veach. This has been the Arrowhead Pride Draft Recap. You can catch all of our stuff at arrowheadpride.com. You can catch this show and other shows like it on the Arrowhead Pride uh, podcast channel that's available through megaphone spotify itunes so on and so forth uh bink sunday is next and i'm gonna stick around for a little bit i think 30 30 or 40 minutes with my guy jay bink you ain't going anywhere pete and uh again thank you for listening that's the arrowhead pride draft recap we'll have this type of show once again in a year's time so <laughs> see you then